Welcome to Arbel Ministries podcast with Mark Whitehead. As we reach number 16, you need to remember what God had just instructed of the Israelites at the end of Numbers 15. He instructed each of them to wear tassels. The Hebrew word is zitzit. And these tassels had a blue cord and they were to be worn on the corners of their garments. And these tassels had a couple reasons. The first reason was every time that the Israelite looked at their tassel, they were to remember God's commandments. But there was another reason. See, on that tzitzit, that blue cord, was a symbol that they were royalty. Exodus 19.6, God tells them that He wants them to be a kingdom of priests. And it's not just Israel where blue symbolized royalty. Understand Egypt and and the surrounding people groups also blue meant royalty. That, That was the culture. So imagine coming over the hillside, looking into Israel and seeing a a bunch of people wearing tassels that have blue. Every one of them. Think think about what you would um, imagine. Wow, they must all be royalty. And that's what exactly God's point. He says, you are my bride. You have, you're, you're in the family now. You are mine. So you're royalty. So that's the setting at the very end of Numbers 15. They had just... Every one of them had been given tassels that had a blue cord. They were told that they were royalty simply based on that uh, imagery. And then we get to Numbers chapter 16. Listen to the first three verses. Now Korah, the son of Izhar, the son of Kohath, the son of Levi, with Dathan and Abiram, the sons of Eliab, and On, the son of Peleth, sons of Reuben, took action. Lots of names there. We'll get back to that. Verse 2. And they rose up before Moses together with some of the sons of Israel, 250 leaders of the congregation, chosen in in the assembly, men of renown. They assembled together against Moses and Aaron and said to them, You have gone far enough, for all the congregation are holy, every one of them, and the Lord is in their midst. So why do you exalt yourselves above the assembly of the Lord? See, it's no coincidence that this happens on the heels of everybody given tzitzit, where, where they are said, you are royalty. And now all of a sudden they start looking around and this group of people say, you know what? What about Moses and Aaron? Why are we just listening to them? God, God's made us royalty as well. Why, why are we relying on them? And they wanted power. They wanted power. So let's talk about these peoples that rebelled in, in, in Numbers 15. The first one is Korah. 
It, it says specifically that Korah was a Kohathite. A Kohathite. Now, way back in Numbers 4, we talked about the different types of Levites. Korah was one of the sons, the original three. And it's from that line that Aaron came. But here's the deal. You could be a Kohathite and not be a priest. You could be in that line, but not be a descendant of Aaron. So these uh, Korah was a Kohathite, but simply probably more like a cousin, let's say, to Aaron. Wasn't a descendant. So, so Korah is not a priest. Now, what do you remember from Numbers 4, if you heard that podcast, about the job of the Kohathites? Their job was to carry the holy objects from the tabernacle, like the Ark of the Covenant, like the Table of Showbread. These, these holy objects that are so essential in worship, they had an extremely important job. But the problem is, Korah wasn't satisfied with, with his job that God had given him. He wanted more. He, he wanted to take Aaron's job. He wanted to be the high priest. He wanted to be in that priestly line. So that is where Korah comes at this rebellion. It's not it's so much against Moses as it is against Aaron because he wants Aaron's job. So that's Korah. Now, there are three other men mentioned by name in this rebellion. Dathan, Abiram, and On. So these three men, just so you know, they wanted to take down Moses. They were wanting to take... Now, why? Well, what tribe were these three men from? It says they were from the tribe of Reuben. They were Reubenites. Why is that important? What do you know about Reuben from the book of Genesis? Well, Reuben was the firstborn of Jacob. And that may not mean a lot to you, but that is extremely important to them and their culture. See, the firstborn stands to inherit a double portion of the family inheritance. And the firstborn has the role of using the family resources to meet the needs of the family once the patriarch passes away. Well, does this describe Reuben? Is that what you see Reuben, is that what Reuben does after, um, uh, after Jacob passes away? The answer is no. Well, why? Well, Genesis 35, 22. In Genesis 35, Reuben makes a gigantic mistake. See, Reuben sleeps with his father's concubine, Bilhah. So, so his father, Jacob, hears about it. But here's what's crazy. Nowhere right after this event does anything get settled. Jacob doesn't go to Reuben and say, oh, I know what you did. It's just silence. Then we turn the pages in our Bible. We get to Genesis chapter 49. It's 40 years later. Jacob is on his deathbed and he's given his final blessings to his son. Listen to what he says in Genesis 49, verses 3 and 4. He starts with Reuben 
his firstborn. Here's what it says. Reuben, you are my firstborn, my might and the beginning of my strength, preeminent in dignity, preeminent in power. And that sounds awesome. Like if you stopped right there, you're like, yes, Reuben, firstborn. That's fantastic. But then you get to verse four. Uncontrolled as water, you shall not have preeminence because you went up to your father's bed. Then you defiled it. He went up to my couch. Forty years after this happens, on his deathbed, Jacob says, Oh yeah, by the way, I know what you did, Reuben. And because of that, you're no longer going to be the firstborn. You're no longer going to get the double portion of the inheritance. Do you know who he gave it to? He gave it to Joseph. So now the birthright belonged through the line of Joseph. And you see that specifically in 1 Chronicles chapter 5, verse 1. So here we have, let's recap where we are. You have Korah, the Kohathite, and you have these three Reubenites that rebelled against Moses and Aaron. And we mentioned Korah was going after Aaron. Korah was after the priestly line. But understand these Reubenites, they had their birthright taken from them. They're going after Moses. They want to be restored into the beta of the father's house. Now, were there others that rebelled besides these four men? Yes. It says specifically in our text, there were 250 Israelite men who also joined them in the rebellion. But they weren't just any Israelites. They were leaders. They were, the Bible says they were chosen men. They were men of renown. So this rebellion consisted of a Kohathite that wasn't satisfied with the job God had given him. He wanted more. These Reubenites attempting to take back their birthright by force. And then 250 prideful leaders. And they're just wanting more power. And these men go to Moses and Aaron and they tell them, you have gone too far. Verse 3. You've gone too far. What's their reasoning? Well, they said the whole community is holy. Every one of them. And, and the Lord is with them. I mean, after all, they're all wearing blue tassels, right? They're all priests. Well, let me say this. Korah's words sound really good. But Korah had the heart of a rebel. He's trying to upheave the system God had put in place. And God had still given the, the job of leadership of his people to Moses and Aaron. And Korah was attempting to hijack God's plan. Do you know what the scary thing is about this story? 250 leaders did not have the discernment to follow God rather than, than Korah. I mean, Korah was saying all the right things, but these leaders obviously didn't know their true shepherd's voice. 
And we've mentioned this over and over in the podcast. The theme of the book of Numbers is God takes his people into the desert, into a place where he can speak to them. And for 40 years, they learn to hear his voice. And at this point, these leaders, they haven't gotten it. They, they, they don't know the shepherd's voice. So when Korah's speaking and things sound really good, guess who they follow? They follow Korah. They were deceived. And this should be a warning to all of us. Even if you're a leader, or maybe especially if you're a leader, you've got to know your shepherd's voice. You must follow him. There's always going to be divisive people like Korah that are trying to hijack God's plan. There's always going to be people who who are going to Try to do things a different way than, than God's way. Now listen, don't follow those people. Follow God. And God had given the leaders of Moses and Aaron, and he wants his people to follow the leaders he put in place, and they started rebelling. We've got to be careful here. Now I love how Moses responds in our story. And we see this over and over from Moses. In verse 4, it says, Moses fell on his face. And I picture him in that moment crying out to God for wisdom. I mean, he had to respond correctly in this moment. And then Moses speaks to Korah and his followers, and he tells them that there's going to be a test the following day. That, all of them, all 250 of those leaders and those four men were to take censers. And they were to put fire and incense in those censers. And, and now understand this. Who were supposed to use censers and fire and incense? Well, that was a, a job of the priest. And, and Moses says, you want to be priests? Okay. Well, then I'm going to give you the job of a priest. Let's see how it goes for you. And he has them get, he says, tomorrow we're going to get these censers and use fire and incense. Then, before the test gets there, Moses gives Korah an earful in verses 8 through 11. Korah, why are you not satisfied with the role God gave you as a Kohathite? He set you apart for his service. He gave you an important role to play in his story, but it wasn't enough for you. When Moses wanted to talk to the Reubenites, do you know what happened? They said, no, we're not even going to discuss this with him. See, listen, that's a huge red flag. That is a huge red flag. If you have a problem with the leader, and you're not even willing to discuss that issue with the leader God has given you, something is wrong with your heart. God is a God of unity. God wants us to be one body. And if you have issues that you will not even discuss with the leaders he has given you, there's a major problem with your heart. And this is where the Reubenites were. This is where the Reubenites were. They wouldn't even discuss it with Moses. They didn't respect the authority God had given Moses. And so, why would they talk to him? 
Do you see how this is not just a rebellion against the leadership? This is not just a rebellion against Moses and Aaron. God had put them into place as the leader of these people. They are rebelling against God himself. The same is true for us today. When God gives us leaders that are people he designates and they are following him. This doesn't work if they're not following him. But if they're listening to his voice, they're doing everything they can to follow him. And we are kicking against our leaders. We won't talk to him about it. Listen, there is something going on that's wrong in our hearts. God is a God of unity and he wants us to be one as the body of Christ. Check your heart. Next day arrives. It's time for the test. Korah and his followers were each to take that censer. Like we said a few minutes ago, they put fire and incense in that censer. Now, where do they get the fire? What well, certainly was not from the, the bronze altar in the tabernacle. I mean, they didn't go into the courtyard and get it there. They must have brought it from home or somewhere else. They didn't get it from the altar. Do you remember the story in Numbers 10 where Nabab and Abihu, Aaron's sons, they offered unauthorized fire to the Lord? Do you remember that story? Unauthorized fire. Excuse me, that's Leviticus 10. The text says, now, now let me ask you a question. Why was it unauthorized fire? They had gotten the fire somewhere other than where they were supposed to. Because in Leviticus, we see later, God's plan was for them to get the fire in the censers from the bronze altar, the brazen altar. And when they didn't follow his orders, guess what? It was unauthorized fire. And the Bible says they were consumed on the spot. Knowing this story, do you think this 250 men were nervous as they're filling their censers with fire and incense? See, I have a feeling they were nervous, thinking this may not be such a good idea. You remember Nabab and Abihu? Yeah, uh, that didn't go so well for them. They should have known how this was going to turn out. What happens? Well, God shows up. He tells Moses to get away from the other men. That's not a good sign. God was tired of the rebellion. He, he, he was done with it. He was ready to put an end to everyone except Moses and Aaron. Moses, being Moses, does what Moses does. He fell face down. He intercedes on behalf of Israel and God listens because that's what he does to his servants. When we cry out to him, he listens. So he told Moses, stay away from the tents of Korah, Dathan, and Abiram. These tents, we've discussed this in a previous podcast. All of these men lived on the southern side of the tabernacle. The Kohathites right beside the tabernacle and the Reubenites right next to them. 
And Moses and Aaron warned all of the people living around these men, move out of the area. Don't even touch any of their belongings, because if you do, you're going to be swept away with all their sins. That's verse 26. That sounds pretty bad. And these people listened, and they moved away from these rebellious men. And again, this is a, a place I want to pause because I think we can learn from this. Did, did you know Romans 16 teaches this same principle as it talks about moving away from people who cause divisions, people that are divisive and argumentative? Those people were, will influence us. They will. We're going to be drawn off God's path of unity when we're around people that always are wanting div- division or always arguing about something. So a divisive person will never say they're divisive. Now, I would say this. I think a lot of times divisive people are going to be the first ones to point out, you know what, I'm following God's will. You know what, I'm just doing what he's telling me to do. And you step back and you look at the life that they're living and how everything is divisive and everything is argumentative. And God is not a God of division. Over and over in his scriptures, he talks about staying away from people that are divisive. Look at Proverbs 16. Look at Jude 1. Look at Titus 3. Look at Romans 16. Over and over, God talks about stay away from those who are divisive. They're going to pull you into their traps. Instead, keep your eyes focused on Jesus. Stay in God's will. If you have a godly leader, cling and encourage that leader and run in your lane. So Moses proposed another test. He must love tests as we get to number 16. But if the men died of natural death, God really didn't call Moses to be their leader. That's what Moses says. That's the test. So if these men um, die naturally, then okay, um, I'm acting on my own power. God didn't really call me with this divine calling. Sorry, my bad. However, he says, if God does something new by opening up the ground and swallowing these men up, then the people were to understand that God really did call Moses to be their leader. And they would understand that the rebellion was against God and not Moses. So as soon as Moses finished talking, guess what happened? The ground split apart, devoured these men and their families and their possessions. And it says they went down alive into Sheol. That's what the text says. What an incredible scene that must have been. They went alive into the grave. And you can imagine the other Israelites, they're scared to death. They start fleeing, it says in the text. They are scared to death. They're terrified. Maybe we're next, right? They think they're going to be swallowed up next. Then, in that moment, fire came down, consumed those 250 leaders that offered unauthorized fire. And the text is very specific. It says it consumed them. Exact same word that you see in Leviticus 10 about Nabab and Abihu. Because they offered the same offering. I love what God says to do next. He wants the priest to take the censers that were used 
to hammer them out into sheets and to overlay them on the altar. He said, it will be a sign to the Israelites. That's verse 38. You know, just like those tassels that we just finished talking about at the end of Numbers 15. Those tassels remind them of God's commandments. It reminds them that they had the, uh, the job description of a priest. And now God gives them another reminder. Because every time they looked at that bronze altar, there would be an overlay of bronze from these censers, reminding them that they are not to chase after rebellious people. They are not to follow after smooth talkers or who are trying to hijack God's plan. And when they come to worship Him, they are to worship Him the correct way, not with unauthorized fire that He did not call them to. So it's a reminder as they looked at this altar from that day on that worshiping God was not a game to be played. He takes it seriously. Do we take worship as seriously as God does? What happens next? Look at number 1641. This is incredible. Number 1641. But on the next day, all the congregation of the sons of Israel grumbled against Moses and Aaron, saying, You are the son, you are the ones who have caused the death of the Lord's people. The very next day, 24 hours before the leaders of rebellion, many were swallowed up by the earth. Nobody had ever seen that before. 24 hours before, you had these people consumed by fire. And one day later, They're already grumbling against Moses and Aaron yet again. Will they never learn? God wasn't happy. He's ready to end the Israelites yet again. He is tired of this. He tells Moses and Aaron to just get away from the people. He's gonna, he's gonna kill them all. Is that what they did? Moses and Aaron fall face down. They, they, did not obey their Lord because they loved this people that they were around. These were their family. And instead of getting away from them and letting God throw his plague out there and just put it into it, they fell face down, putting themselves at risk of judgment. God could have easily just wiped them out too. They disobeyed God. So the plague begins. And Moses tells Aaron, go get your censer and make atonement for the people. Now listen to the next two verses. Numbers 16, verses 47 and 48. Then Aaron took it as Moses had spoken and ran into the midst of the assembly. For behold, the plague had begun among the people. So he put on the incense and made atonement for the people. Verse 48. He took his stand between the dead and the living so that the plague was checked. Oh my goodness, took his stand between the dead and the living. And the more I've soaked this story in, the more I see Jesus. The actions of Moses and Aaron foreshadow what Jesus does for us. Now let me explain. 
Let me show you how. First, Moses and Aaron pleaded for the people who did not deserve it. The text says in verse 41, all the Israelites were complaining. Not some, all of them. They did not deserve intercession on their behalf. Yet that's exactly what Aaron and Moses did for them. It reminds me of Romans 5.8 that says this, But God demonstrates His own love toward us, that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. So as Moses and Aaron pleaded on behalf of those who did not deserve it, it foreshadowed a day when Jesus would do the same thing for me and you. While we were still in sin, while we still didn't follow him, he says, you know what? That's okay. Because I'm still going to die on your behalf. No, you don't deserve it. Just like these Israelites didn't deserve the intercession. But God did it. Jesus did it anyway. Second, Moses and Aaron pleaded for the people who were attacking him. And don't miss how big this is, because not only did Moses and Aaron plead for people who didn't deserve it, the, those very people were attacking Moses and Aaron. And you see that in verse 41, how they were grumbling. On the cross, Jesus had a similar reaction to those attacking him. But Jesus was saying, Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they are doing. Luke 23, 34. So as Moses and Aaron pleaded on behalf of those attacking them, it foreshadowed a day when Jesus would do the exact same thing on the cross. Third, Moses and Aaron acted with urgency. See, when the Lord shared with Moses and Aaron his plan to just immediately kill all the, uh, the entire congregation, it says Aaron ran to act on their behalf. That's verse 47. He ran. Did you know Jesus does the same thing for us today? Let me, let me read you a verse in Hebrews 2, verse 18. Here's what it says. For since he himself was tempted in that which he has suffered, he is able to come to the aid of those who are tempted. Now, in the original language, the word used for come to an aid, that Greek word means to run to meet an urgent need. So as Aaron ran to meet this urgent need, it foreshadowed Jesus' reaction to me when I'm going through temptation, when I'm struggling. Jesus says, you know what? I've been in your shoes before. I've been tempted. And he doesn't just sit down at the right hand of the Father when I'm going through temptation. He gets up off the seat and he runs because he knows what it's like to be tempted. He runs to meet an urgent need. That's our Jesus. That's our Savior. The fourth thing that we see that foreshadows Jesus. Moses and Aaron interceded for the dead. See, here's the thing. The dead have no defense. The dead are lifeless. The dead have no hope. The text says that Aaron took his stand between the dead and the living. Verse 48. He literally interceded for those who had no hope. 
Listen to Hebrews 7.25. Therefore he, Jesus, is able also to save forever those who draw near to God through him, since he always lives to make intercession for them. Just as Moses interceded on behalf of the dead in this story, it foreshadowed a day when Jesus would intercede for me and for you. In my flesh, I am dead. I am dead. The only life in me is Jesus, and He intercedes for me. He interceded for me on the day on, that day on the cross as He took my place. I was dead in my sin before Jesus did that. But he stood in the gap, which allows me to live. And not only that, Hebrews talks about how he is our high priest today. He he continuously intercedes for us even today. See, here's the deal, guys. Our life is to be lived for the one who acted on our behalf, even though we didn't deserve it. We were just like those Israelites. We didn't deserve to be interceded for. We didn't deserve action and saving just like the Israelites. Yet that's exactly what Jesus did. And while we were an enemy of God, Scripture tells us, Jesus still gave his life for us. Romans 5.10 Oh, what an amazing Savior. And today he continues to run to meet our needs When we're tempted, when we need Him, He runs and He intercedes on our behalf. See, because of that, every second of every day is to be lived for Him. Not just a couple hours on Sunday morning, not just an hour on Wednesday night. Guys, He deserves all of us, all the time. Is that what He gets? So as we wrap up this podcast, let me just kind of take you back a, through a few things that we discussed. First thing's this. God has given you a role to play in His story. He gave Korah a role. He gave the Kohathites a role. He gave the Reubenites a role and these three men. He gave these 250 leaders a role. First off, do you know your role in His story? You can't be busy doing your role if you don't know it. If you don't know your role, today is the day to ask Him, God, what do you want me to be busy doing for you? But here's the other thing. Be thankful that He has a job for you. Don't look around at the roles He's given other people and be jealous and want what they have. God's given you a role. Be faithful. Second thing, don't follow after the Korahs of the world. There's always going to be people who are divisive. There always are going to be people who are argumentative. Listen to your shepherd's voice and follow him. And knowing that our leaders have to deal with people like Korah, encourage the leaders God has given you. They need it, I promise. They need it. It is not an easy thing to be a leader and to have people like Korah creating so much division that it's hard to control. Encourage your leaders. And I would say right now, 
Examine your own heart. Are you divisive? Are you argumentative? When you look at the wake of your life among the body of Christ, do you see a lot of finger pointing? Do you see a lot of discouraging remarks about how things are going? Are you a Korah? If so, repent. Seek God's forgiveness and follow Him. Next, don't attempt to hijack God's plan. His plan, He never says it's going to be easy, but let me tell you, He has a perfect will. Don't try to change that and hijack. And lastly, follow the Lord with everything you have. He deserves it. Every second of every day, He deserves to be followed with everything you have. Does He have all of you? Or are you holding things back? just want to thank you for listening to this podcast. As always, feel free to reach out to me with any questions or concerns. You can reach me on Twitter at Arbel Ministries. You can reach me through email um, at arbelministries at gmail.com. Be happy to discuss any of these points further with you. But I just appreciate you listening, and I look forward to our next time together. Thank you.